What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. If you've already heard about the two great sponsors of this show, CoinKite and River, skip ahead 60 seconds. If not, permit me that time to tell you why they might be of interest to you. CoinKite offers the products you need to store and use your Bitcoin. The cold card is a time-tested Bitcoin-only hardware wallet used by many Bitcoiners to securely self-custody their Bitcoin. For spending, they've recently introduced a line of NFC cards offering new and simple methods for securely signing transactions using the tap signer card and exchanging Bitcoin off-chain using the SATS card. Finally, the Block Clock lineup, a home or office accessory loved by Bitcoin enthusiasts all over for easily keeping an eye on things like block height, SATS per dollar, Bitcoin price, and much more. To get more info about their excellent lineup of products, visit coinkite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning service enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their dedication to service, stellar team, and in-house approach to building a next-generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit river.com today. There we go. We're live, Patrick. Thanks for joining me, man. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, about oh. what you've been up to. My pleasure, John. Thanks so much for having me. So, I mean, I guess we should start from the top here. Um, everyone or a lot of people are familiar with the phenomenon, the story around Bitcoin Beach and El Salvador and everything happened and everything that happened uh, subsequent to that and as a result of that. Um, but I think fewer and it's interesting that as a result of that also so many it seems like more and more small communities mostly in developing countries um, were inspired by that story and there you can see these initiatives popping up you see them on twitter from time to time that communities are doing educational or social projects that are kind of centered around bitcoin uh, which is amazing to see um but i know that you're kind of involved in something similar um in uh, guatemala right Yes. Um, just tweeting about, about this as well. Um, yeah, John. So I, I, um, there are probably four or five uh, similar projects uh, similar to, to Bitcoin Beach. And I'm actually writing a, a, an addendum to what Mike Peterson and the Bitcoin Beach folks put together called um, the uh, uh, Bitcoin Beach-like uh, communities. And so, you know, there's our project that's based on Bitcoin Beach. There's Bitcoin Akasi in South Africa. There's Bitcoin Brazil in Brazil. And there are other Bitcoin circular economy uh, efforts right now. One in um, uh, Costa Rica. There's also one in the Philippines. And there are a smattering of other ones. But I think that what, what kind of sets apart the work that Bitcoin Beach did, what we're doing is there's it's more than just orange peeling businesses and orange peeling people about Bitcoin. It's actually going into the community, trying to find a cause that you're trying to solve. You know, Bitcoin fixes this and we'll get into to that, that evolution for me, but trying to go into a community and actually use Bitcoin to solve a problem, whether it's educating children, bringing new technology to them, um, or in our case, which you'll learn about trying to make a major environmental, environmental impact in a place like Guatemala. Um, so I think it's for your listeners and for those uh, for future reference, uh, orange pilling businesses is kind of different than some of these other efforts that are going on. Um, this takes a lot of time, effort, commitment, 
and ability to, you know, stick with it because it's, it's hard work. And, you know, we're in a place like Guatemala and, you know, places like in South Africa where, you know, people have access to technology, but it's not, you know, they don't have smartphones glued to their hands like we do in the West. And while they're familiar with that sort of technology, you're really trying to introduce um, two new technologies. You're, you're, you're teaching them how to use their phone. And then you're also teaching them how to, how to use Bitcoin. Um, but we can get in, get into all that. So we've been doing this since January of this year. And uh, to date, I, I've, I've lost track of how many at this point, because it, it just becomes not really that germane, but we've, we've onboarded over 200 businesses um, we've taught the children at the the local school um, there in Panachel, and I'll tell you my history there. And we were the first to set up a Bitcoin full node in a school in Central America. We were the first to install a Bitcoin miner in a school in Central America. We were the first to install a Bitcoin miner in a municipality in the Americas. And... Um, you know, slowly but suddenly, we're starting to gain traction, and people are are starting to notice uh, what we're doing. Yeah, man, that's so cool. A lot, a lot to take on there. But one of the things that stood out when you were speaking was because um, you see, you know, the clips on Twitter, and everyone thinks it's awesome. You know, these circular economies are getting started, and people are all rah rah about so and so accepting Bitcoin and all this stuff. And one of the things that impressed was impressed upon me as I came to know the guys at Bitcoin Beach and spent some time there and stuff is just how much legwork they're putting in, as you said, in these social projects that they're doing. You know, the and Bitcoin is instrumental to that. Not only does it facilitate it, but obviously they're doing a lot of educational work around it. But it's it's within a broader ambition to have a positive impact on on their communities and to educate in various ways. And it's so not glamorous. You know, like I, I, the boys there are going into communities of 10 people, 50 people, whatever. And, you know, whether it's teaching English or, or English or teaching about computers or phones, as you mentioned, or, you know, a, a rudimentary explainer about Bitcoin. And it's just like day in and day out. Like when I was, I was there on two occasions hanging out with those guys and there was always something on the go or surf lessons or like all sorts of community things that may not even have any direct relationship to Bitcoin. And I think, um, you know, that that kind of the heart, the legwork aspect of that is lost on the Twitter feeds when you're just seeing announcements of legal tender and you're seeing transactions in Bitcoin like these guys. And I'm sure you and many others have been putting in like just a, a shit ton of work for a long time trying to improve their communities. And it just so happens now that they've been, you know, they were granted or they were donated a tool that allows them to do that more effectively and, and have a larger impact. And so they're using that, but there's still, I mean, it's just, it's so much work. And that's what, you know, I really respect about those guys is uh, so much attention has been put on them lately and everyone loves recognition and praise and spotlight, but just, you know, the daily grind of, of doing what they've been doing for, you know, years and years and years now, which is trying to improve the lives of people in their community and just having Bitcoin be a, a really great tool to facilitate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's really kind of one of the defining characteristics of these bubble uh, communities. Usually, uh, whether it's our case, and our, our case is a little unique, and I'll explain all that. But, you know, in the case of Bitcoin Beach or Bitcoin Akasi in South Africa, they've been involved. Uh, we were involved in the community before we started this project. So, Bitcoin is a tool. That's all it is. Okay. So 
Um, now, I believe, and I know these other project leaders believe that Bitcoin is a fantastic tool. But if you don't, if you don't, you can't, you can't walk into any community and say, I'm a Bitcoin maxi, I'm going to teach you about Bitcoin, and it's going to make all your problems go away. You just can't do that. You've got to learn what the needs of the community are uh, and adapt. And I know we've had to adapt on several occasions because while we had a plan, we had to modify it as we got into the community and, and started kind of digging deeper and deeper. So, <clears throat> so yes, Bitcoin's just a tool and there's a lot of incredibly hard work. And I think that the, if you, if you have a picture of a traveling salesman going door to door selling vacuum cleaners, that's basically what this type of work involves. I mean, you're, you're literally having to go from vendor to vendor in our case, uh, because that's, that's what worked merchant to merchant and try to, you know, what, number one, convince them that they should be accepting Bitcoin and then kind of go through the process of explaining, demonstrating all that in, in a very short amount of time, you know, usually within about 30 minutes. And if you've gone beyond 30 minutes, then you're, you're not likely to get the, the vendor on um, adopted. So yes, it's a incredibly a lot, of, a lot of work. So when you first go into a community like that, when you first get going, it can be a lot of hard work and you can actually get uh, very frustrated because you're not seeing the progress that you expect to see. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and again, to just reiterate that point, you know, like you have to be doing it. There's a lot of Bitcoin missionaries out there and I certainly can empathize with that because it's such an important cause and you want to spread it, you know, as far and wide as possible, but you, I think you have to have an even larger motivation, which is for your people, your community, your family, your country, something like that, because you know, the, the lust wears off, like the attention is intermittent at best. And, you know, you won't be the bell of the ball forever. There'll be lots of other examples and the attentional shift and the media will shift. And like, you've got to be, as you said, you've got to be using Bitcoin as a means to achieve some broader, more meaningful end. And if that's not what's motivating you, you're probably going to, you know, give up on, on the cause eventually. And again, that's what, that, what has impressed me so much about the Bitcoin beach guys is because They've just been on that grind for so long and, it, you know, they got so much attention and who knows, like, you know, what, what influence that ultimately had, but it seems like they doubled down and, and are, you know, committed to doing the work that they've always done, just leveraging both Bitcoin and the newfound attention and all that kind of stuff to do it more. And, and if you're just there for the accolades of, you know, being the one to bring Bitcoin to fill in the blank region, then I think that's probably the wrong reason because I don't think you're you're going to have the sufficient, um, de you know, determination or staying power to actually have an impact. No, no question. I mean, there's there's a number of Bitcoin initiatives that have started and just kind of have petered because of that that very fact. And so, you know, the history with what we're doing down in Guatemala started when my girls were in uh, middle school, high school. We would take them down to Guatemala and do an art camp every summer in Panajachel. And because of that, we did that for six years. And because of that, uh, we developed um, pretty significant ties, trust uh, relationships in the community. To, um, and we were able to bring this new tool um, after our art camp back down. And while, and I, I don't live there, I'm not based there full time, but that allowed us to get going and buy in immediately from the community um, to start the project and, and to keep it going.
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. let's let's get to the how this all got started so that there's some context for this discussion. But, you know, how did Lake Atitlan, am I pronouncing that properly? Atitlan. Atitlan. Yes. How did, how did you know, everything get started there? And then, you know, what was your own Bitcoin journey and how did you wind up involved? Yeah. So we, we my family and I, we, we had been going down there for about six years uh, from 2012 to 2016. So uh, we had we know the the people that are involved in the community down there. We had trust relationships to to lean on for this project, and so when we started it, that's 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 where we started. Right, and so the 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 project began before the integration with Bitcoin, correct? Yes, the, um, our work and put it this way: our work in the community, not the project, because this. This project looks a lot different than what we did before. That right. our work began before the integration with the Bitcoin. That's right. Yeah. Right. And, and, that's, and what kind of and that and that's John. That's the that's the similar feature of all these communities around the world. Is you know you you've got people that have been involved or are involved in the community um, that allows them to understand the needs of the community. Yeah. And what kind of work was were, were you doing for those initiatives at the time? I took my daughters. Yeah, I took my daughters and my wife down. They're all artists. Um, so we would do an art camp, it, basically an after school program. Um, these kids, you know, they don't have access to um, things like art classes. And so we would go down there and, and introduce them to art. In fact, Nancy, who owns and runs the school, her oldest daughter, who's now in medical school, um, developed a love for art because of our influence down there. So that's that's kind of a nice full circle story. But art, just totally related to art. Cool. And um, take me up to speed in terms of your Bitcoin journey, as well as the current incarnation of, of what's happening at the lake. Okay, so um, I first became aware of Bitcoin in 2018. Like most people, I didn't really understand uh, the implications of what Bitcoin could do or mean for society. I just kind of bought it. And in the um, fall of 2020 and uh, early part of 2021, when the world was kind of falling apart, um, Bitcoin became kind of this, this thing that I learned, delved more and more into and started making more and more sense of what was broken with the world. And so... Once I kind of had that understanding of what Bitcoin could do or, and what it was, and combined with my Christian worldview, I started seeing these really strangely similar uh, similarities between Christianity and Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, I actually wrote two books about it, and I started a podcast, a, a Christian-themed podcast uh, uh, related to Bitcoin and Christianity. So... As I started kind of wrestling with that, knowing that I had a love for, you know, going out and helping people in, in other countries, um, that's when it, the light bulb came on, as we talked about earlier, that Bitcoin could become this better tool for us to do normally what we try to do in Christian circles. And, you know, my, my faith informs what I do, but the, the Bitcoin effort down in, in Guatemala is by no means evangelical at all. We, it, it's, we're not trying to teach people about Jesus or anything like that. It, just, it has just become a tool. And because of our previous relationships, um, we've been able to, to start this project with the ultimate goal of trying to um, help Guatemalans improve their 
economic situation is is really what it's all about improving their lives because one of the things you experience whether you're involved in like a christian mission or even a a philanthropic mission um something like peace corps always very challenging to improve or provide economic opportunity for people without creating dependency it's such a tough line to to uh, uh and if you start if you get into a dependency situation it can just destroy all your work that you've done before so bitcoin allows us to provide economic independence uh, without being dependent upon us. And so to that end, we have three main goals of the project. Number one is to educate. So we we took a page out of the Bitcoin Beach playbook. We wanted to start educating children and that's where the school came in. We wanted to onboard businesses, obviously. And then the third goal, the third pillar of our project, which is distinctly different than really any other Bitcoin project around the world, is the fact that uh, we wanted to introduce Bitcoin mining. And we wanted to do, we want to introduce Bitcoin mining for two reasons. Number one, um, our project is completely self-funded and uh, on a shoestring budget. And so we don't have a big Bitcoin endowment like Bitcoin Beach does. And so we want to be able to provide Bitcoin mining as a means to put Bitcoin back into the economy. And number two, um, the, the one thing that we knew about the community, having been there so many times before, is that while it's a beautiful, beautiful part of the world, that the lake, Lake Atitlan, is one of the most beautiful lakes in the world, it's slowly dying because of the pollution that filters into it. It sits about a, a 5,000 feet elevation. There are volcanoes and mountains at another 3,000 feet above that. And like any developing country, is there's no waste management, you know, landfills and stuff leaks into the into the watershed and down into the lake. So I wanted to use Bitcoin as a way to incentivize people to stop doing what they normally do with their waste and um, allocate it toward energy production. And, um, you know, it's it's the perfect incentive to allow people to stop polluting their environment. Um, so in the West, we can mandate or we can tax people to take care of their trash. But down there, you just can't do that. And it's it's not as if Guatemalans aren't concerned about their environment or the death of the lake. They're very but they just don't have the resources to deal with it. And this is a perfect example of what Bitcoin can do to to help um, uh, the environment. And we've done some really cool things, and, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. But that's those are that's kind of the the overall picture of what we've done. Yeah, that's awesome. I've got a lot of follow ups, but just to focus on the mining aspect for a moment. So, does that mean you're going to be mining off um, landfill sort of thing there, or, or what's the setup that's going to kind of uh, help reverse or change the incentives for waste management and around the lake? How are we doing that? Yeah. Well, right now we we've started a uh, basically a proof of concept. It's called Kaboom Energy, and so we haven't changed incentives yet. We 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 have to introduce the concept first, but we the um, we are taking old used cooking oil, believe it or not, seed oils. Uh, we have found an old diesel engine. It's probably thirty or forty years old. And we're literally running a diesel engine with this used cooking oil and uh, we're mining with it. So that that is the introduction of, you know, something that 
even we didn't know was possible. You know, I've, I've, we've got a group of people. These, these aren't all my fanciful ideas. We have a group of people that kind of work on this, but um, we didn't even know that was possible until we did it. So if you take something like that, you know, there are diesel engines all throughout Guatemala that are sitting around not being used. And um, there's plenty of used cooking oil that people can use to, to run these generators. So if you could take a simple idea like that and, and show them that they can turn that into a monetary asset, that's huge. So the, the kind of farther up the scale, what we want to do is there, there are some pretty big pending issues there in, in Panachel. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's like it in every community. There are about 17 communities around the lake. The, the whole lake has, it's about 300,000 people, but um, there's a wastewater treatment facility. The, there's a biodigester at the wastewater treatment facility, but the biodigester is cracked. So methane is just leaking into the environment. And for those who study the environment, and I'm not an expert, but I know enough to know that methane is, you know, anywhere between 30 to 60 times more um, damaging to the environment than CO2. So we want to be able to capture that methane, uh, create energy from it and mine Bitcoin and use that Bitcoin to further improve the infrastructure. We have um, the solid waste facility sits about six to 800 feet above Ponticello. And as I described, all the trash coming down into the watershed, we're working on a technology, we're partnering with a group out of the UK where we can literally take solid waste. We can literally take a trash truck, back it up into one of these facilities and through a process, create energy and mine Bitcoin. And it's completely off grid after the first 12 hours of operation, you're completely off grid. You're not, it's, I, I don't think it's zero um, emissions, but it's it's nearly zero emissions, and um, certainly it's it is carbon negative uh, once the process is completely fired up and going. With that, the incentive is we're going to take a portion of that Bitcoin, not all of it, but a portion of that Bitcoin, and basically distribute it back into the into the local economy. So, you know, analogous to a UBI, universal basic income, we we like to call this a decentralized basic income where we're going to be taking these Satoshis and uh, improving the lives and injecting that Bitcoin back into the community. So if we're creating opportunity like that, if we're solving a major problem that the community has been struggling with, wrestling with for decades, and we're able to pay them for it, that that's the ultimate incentive to um, incentivize them to change their habits for sure. Man, that's so cool. It, was that the, I saw a video must've been months ago now of okay. like a dude in a, looked like a little backyard fenced off area with a rickety motor. <laughs> yep. So how do you, what kind of processing has to be done to the seed oils to make it, you know, uh, usable in a motor? Well, okay. Well, first of all, really interesting thing about, um, cooking oil in Guatemala and I presume every other developing country, but if you go to McDonald's and you buy fries, um, that cooking oil, however many times McDonald's, whatever the standard is for McDonald's, when McDonald's gets rid of that cooking oil, that cooking oil is sold to another franchise, you know, maybe a lower tier Guatemalan franchise. Well, when that franchise gets done with that cooking oil, it's sold to another franchise. So uh, cooking oil is used over and over and over again. So if you're not eating at a top tier fast food restaurant, if there's such a thing, uh, you're, you're probably using cooking oil that uh, you're probably eating something that's been made with cooking oil that's been used several, several times. So basically the process is we collect the, the cooking oil, the, um, 
once we collect it, we have to heat it up uh, and liquefy it a little bit more to make it more viscous. We filter it and use a, a basically a homemade centrifuge to get all the large particulate matter out of it. And literally um, from there, you just stick it into the diesel engine and it starts running. It's it's crazy. Wow. Um, Is it rough on the engine? Engine like no. They, well, I mean, first of all, you're using an engine that's 40 years old. So I don't know how much rougher you get <laughs> on an engine, but um, Bill Whitaker, who um, spearheaded that project, um, just yesterday posted a video. He found a diesel engine from the 30s, the 1930s, and is using cooking oil to mine Bitcoin. So the, wow. the interesting history behind diesel, Rudolf Diesel, who invented the diesel engine, um, they were, he in, originally intended the diesel engine to be used on farms. And at the time, you know, over a hundred years ago, that's, you know, the seed oils were plentiful on family farms. And so the, the diesel engines actually designed to work with seed oils and it nowadays because of the modern technology it may require a little modification but essentially yeah i mean it it works <laughs> wow um yeah. and is it economical like do, do you get the seed oil for free or do you get it just very very cheaply yeah so the we we don't know the economics of it yet because right now it's a demonstration project and we are actually competing with another interest around the lake. There's a there's a lake there's a group called the Friends of Lake Atitlan, and they purchase the seed oil from local merchants, and then they um, truck it to Guatemala City, which is about three hours away. Um, so there's um, we our first batch of oil they this organization gave to us for free. But they basically told us, you know, this is your last time you're going to get anything free from us. If you, if you want seed oil from us again, you're going to you're going to be charged for it. But um, we're kind of working through the plan right now of um, collecting the seed oil on our own. And there's there are places across the lake where we can get it for free. But to answer your question, um, we don't know the the economics of it yet. But su suffice it to say, if you walk into a community where seed oil is uh, thrown out into the lake or into the uh, into the uh, street, which you know, quite frankly, happens here, even though some of it's collected, um, and no one's charging for the the seed oil. This, I mean, the economics are unbelievable. I mean, if you could find an an old diesel engine, and we're using old S nine miners, um, you know, what's not to like about used cooking oil, used diesel engine, and used S nine miner? I mean, that's that's a no brainer. Yeah, turning seed oils into Bitcoin is a particularly attractive proposition. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the justice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was it like when you guys, because you, you've, you've been there for years doing these, um, you know, bringing art to the community, let's say. What was it like when you first introduced the notion of this whole Bitcoin thing? Because in, in so many places, it's either people have no knowledge about it whatsoever or a lot of skepticism is this a scam is this a this is that what, what was it like when you brought this to whomever you first brought it to presuming that they were people that you were familiar with from the previous the prior work already well when we when we first introduced the concept to nancy um because she knows us and trusts us it was yeah i want to do this i this is a cool technology and i want to teach my kids about it so that that was that was not a hard sell at all uh, because this is a new concept and, and thing that she could teach in her school. So it, it provides a little prominence for, for what she's doing. 
it's a different story when you get out in the community and you're trying to orange pill parents or even, you know, shop owners, uh, you, you're always going to have to deal with the, the typical Bitcoin FUD, right? It's a scam. It's a Ponzi and all that. You just, you just have to deal with that. Everyone has those questions because you're talking about this new money. Um, I will say that while Bitcoin Beach has sucked all the oxygen out of the air as far as publicity, the, the fact that next door this was going on in El Salvador, people had some awareness and it was right after the, the Bitcoin legal tender law was passed, you know, so we were two or three months after that happened. And so it was all in the media. So most, some people were aware of what was going on with Bitcoin next door and that, that kind of helped lower that barrier for us. But, you know, you still have the issues with it's a new technology and it's a new money and the early days were tough. I mean, I mean, hours and hours and miles and miles of walking, um, going to different vendors to con convince them. But then you you literally get to a, a, a tipping point. It, it's the gradually then suddenly. And, you know, I've been communicating back and forth with Mike Peterson. And one of the the other thing that really kind of changed changed the, the tempo for us was signage. Um, we put up a bunch of Bitcoin signage around the community. And when you're a citizen or a merchant and you're walking through the town and you see all this Bitcoin signage, it just puts something in the back of your head. So then when somebody comes up to you and asks if you're interested in adopting it, then it's, it's kind of already back there. So it's just classic advertising. And um, the other thing that we've been, we've been able to focus on really low hanging fruit to, for maximum impact. One of the things that we've done is in a lot of developing countries, you might see a, the side of a store that's painted and it's advertising Coca-Cola or Tigo or Claro, the, the cell phone companies. So we just approached several um, business owners and said, hey, can we come and paint your store? Um, but rather than it being Coca-Cola or something like that, we're gonna paint it Bitcoin orange. So right now we have, uh, and Bitcoin logo. So there's not only is it Bitcoin orange with Bitcoin, but there are also um, Bitcoin phrases and um, <laughs> idioms on the side, like Bitcoin is money of the people and you know stuff like that. Trust, but uh, uh, don't trust, verify. So we've, we've implanted um, messaging like that. And we have a, about six businesses right now um, around the lake. The majority are in Panachel. We have uh, one in another community um, across the lake. We took a... I don't know if, if you're familiar with tuk-tuks or rickshaws, but they're three mm. three-wheeled motor motorized taxis. And we convinced a tuk-tuk driver for us to uh, paint the tuk-tuk Bitcoin orange. And we put Bitcoin signage inside the tuk-tuk. So if you're, if you're riding the tuk-tuk, you can scan the QR code and it'll take you straight to a page to, so you can learn about Bitcoin. And obviously the Bitcoin, the tuk-tuk the driver accepts Bitcoin. All of the shops that we, that we painted um, are um, they accept Bitcoin and we've got a really exciting thing that we're doing right now. So after adopting Bitcoin coming up, which we, we'll, we can talk about, um, we've got another really cool thing that we're revealing um, to kind of advertise Bitcoin around the lake. You mean we can talk about after you reveal it at adopting Bitcoin or? Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to drop it. I don't want to drop it now. I, I, I'll, I'll just say that we're, if, if we thought that the video of the motor oil was cool, this is going to blow people's minds. This is going to be really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, how big is the, the area that all this is happening in? Like how many people uh, population wise? 
Yeah, so Panachel, the city itself is a is a town of about eighteen thousand people. So if you think about El Zante, which is about three thousand people, mm -hmm. um, this is a much larger community. It's not a sleepy beach town. It's a it's a bustling little tourist community on the lake on the edge of the lake. Um, I like to tell people you can walk down the main street of this little town, and if you listen carefully, you can hear three or four different languages. People from all over the world come there, and Panachel is the place where people come and then they leave from there to other places around the lake. So it's kind of a central hub of tourist activity um, around the lake. And it's it's in the western highlands of Guatemala and about three, three and a half hours from Guatemala City. And it's in a, a heavily Mayan indigenous community. So these are, um, you know, like El Salvador, Guatemala went through a really bad civil war. A lot of the brutality from the government forces and the army was perpetrated on the indigenous community. So um, there's a significant distrust of centralized authority in this in this area. Um, but it's it's a very it's it's a beautiful uh, area, and the and the people are wonderful. What's the the safety like at this point? I I mean I've 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 made the drive many times from Guatemala City to Panachel uh, renting a car. It's you know, there are definitely places in Guatemala City you don't want to go. I mean, it's one of the larger cities in Central America. It's it's not unlike Toronto or New York City. There are places you just want to avoid. Mm. Um, but, you know, in Panachel, uh, I, I, this group that we're bringing after adopting Bitcoin, I've told the, the women that are coming, you know, you can safely walk Panachel at night by yourself. It, it's really not, not, not that I would recommend that, but I wouldn't have any concern if if a female friend of mine was was walking home after dinner um, by herself at, at night, it's it's very safe. And in uh, so like how what's the degree of of Bitcoin circular economy happening there? Like you, you mentioned a number of shops you've you've painted and done the promo and the ads and stuff on. But like how easy is it, it is it to go and pay for things with Bitcoin? Well, let me ask you this. So if John Vallis was to come to Panachel, what would be your expectation for a good Bitcoin experience? It's a good question. I guess being able to pay for my hotel, some food and a beer in Bitcoin. You can do all that. So you can, while our taxi drivers from Guatemala City to Panachel are not, you know, officially orange pilled, if you wanted to uh, pay in Bitcoin and get a taxi from Guatemala City to Panachel, you could pay in Bitcoin. You could come and stay in up to a four-star four hotel in Panachel. You can go to um, a dozen or more restaurants and pay in Bitcoin. You, as many, you know, most of those have bars as well. Uh, if you if you're at an Airbnb and you're staying for a while, you could go to the grocery store and you could pay in Bitcoin. Uh, if you want to get your haircut, you can pay in Bitcoin. If you need to get around, as I said before, with the tuk-tuk, you can pay in Bitcoin. If you want to go across the lake on a boat, you can pay in Bitcoin. So really, uh, right now we have um, around the lake uh, over 100 businesses that accept Bitcoin. And in all of Guatemala, Guatemala itself, we have 200 businesses that accept Bitcoin. But our goal when we first started orange-peeling businesses were to identify businesses that number one gringos would want to come to uh, for the purpose of attracting Bitcoiners. So you can come to Panachel and live off of Bitcoin. That's awesome. And you can you can even, you know, if you want to go paragliding or rent a kayak or an ATV or or a motocross bike, you could do that in Bitcoin as well. And 
has it reached a point yet where you touched on this a little bit earlier, but are people there? Because one, it's difficult to first understand Bitcoin, how it works, why it's valuable, why it might be beneficial or useful to you. And then there's the hurdle of actually trying using it and using it properly and securely and knowing what you're doing so you don't lose funds and stuff like that. Do you get a sense that people in this community kind of get the thesis around Bitcoin and even despite, you know, let's say the quote unquote bear market that we're currently in, they you know, are, are happy when people offer to uh, pay in Bitcoin, or is it still kind of like, I'll do it because enough people ask me, but, you know, my preference is still, what is it, US dollar in, in Guatemala? No, it's a Quetzal, um, which okay. is the local currency. Um, we've been very intentional about, we, we have a full-time staff person down there that, that's on it, you know, literally five to seven days a week. Uh, we've been very intentional about making sure that if a business accepts Bitcoin, we go back and make sure that the the, the process is smooth. Okay, um, we don't we don't want Bitcoiners to come down and have to be part of the educational chain. We want Bitcoiners to come down and spend their Bitcoin. And uh, part of the part of the hiccup that we faced at the very beginning was we use the Bitcoin Beach wallet uh, for everybody. And the reason we do that is we want everybody to be speaking the same language, so to speak, when it comes to um, understanding how Bitcoin works. But one of the problems with the Bitcoin Beach wallet when we first started using it was there was no denomination in the Kitsau. And there was really, for a business, it wasn't really set up for a business and because there was no POS system. So if you've got a if you've got a worker that's behind the desk and the owner is at home or somewhere else, um, there's really no way to pay in Bitcoin. So we, we worked a solution so that um, there's you scan a QR code and a POS system comes up so that anybody with the with the camera can uh, pay in Bitcoin. And if you've got a worker behind the desk, there's no excuse. It's there's the QR code. And, and we we we've made sure that the process is seamless as possible. And to what degree do you think people, um, well, I, I, what's custody look like for, for people? You know, like, do they just use custodial wallets because the amounts are negligible? Have, are, is there education around self-custody, that kind of thing? Yeah, so that's that's one of these issues that we struggle with. And as a maxi, um, I felt feel that it's kind of a moral imperative to teach about custody. But the reality is what you just mentioned, you know, most of these people are not holding enough Bitcoin to make it justifiable to spend 100 bucks or whatever it is for a cold storage device. So um, we looked into Seed Signer. Seed Signer's got a great solution. Um, I felt for what we were trying to do at the school setting, we actually brought them down and the kids were assembling them. That was one of their lessons. Um, but I think deploying seed signer in the broad community is not going to be a good solution for us. Um, I'm very interested in what Fediment, the Fediment solution. Um, we've been talking with them a little bit, but um, the there's no good custody solution right now. And that can be very irritative to a, you know, Bitcoin maxis, but the reality is um, it's just not feasible um, realistically at this point, the way we like to self-custody, it's not, it's just not reasonable. Right. What are the, the regulations around Bitcoin in Guatemala? Are, is there, is there any official approach? 
No, the, the um, Guatemala is uh, pretty conservative as it relates to monetary policy. They, they're, the quetzal is, is pegged to the U.S. dollar like a lot of economies, but their monetary policy, from what I can tell, pretty closely matches the U.S. So as, I think as long as the U.S. remains friendly to Bitcoin, then Guatemala is going to remain friendly. Uh, but, you know, honestly, we don't ask questions. We just say, you know, here's Bitcoin, let's pay with it. And, you know, the the, the one thing that the regulatory uh, environment has kind of dampened for us is the use of ATMs. We, the, the movement of money, who controls money and all that it has made getting ATM ATMs deployed, Bitcoin ATMs deployed very challenging, but we've come up with a solution for that. So Eliazar, who, who works with us, he basically, if you want to cash out, then you contact him and he'll cash you out. One, a, a Bitcoiner that came and stayed several months down in the lake also created a Telegram channel. If you're a Guatemalan with Bitcoin and Panachel and you want to do a peer-to-peer -peer exchange, you just go to the Telegram channel and you can do a peer-to-peer -peer exchange um, that mm -hmm. way. So we, found, we have found ways around um, those issues, but from a regulatory environment, we really don't, you know, we don't ask. There, there's no like capital gains approach on the books for Bitcoin in Guatemala? No, the you know most of the John. So the 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 town that we're working in, we're you know we're talking we're working with small businesses that you know they're they're part of the gray economy. They're not most of their revenue. They're just not reporting. Um, mm. And I I forget uh, the tax structure in Guatemala. I think uh, a tax form is sent out once a year, and you kind of have to report. But so much of it is in the gray economy. We don't even talk about taxes. It, I mean, if you want to talk about taxes, like the four star hotel. Um, that's a conversation we can't have. We refer them to somebody else like Ebex Mercado that can have that discussion. Yeah. Love to hear it. Um, <laughs> what, so you kind of a final point on that, the regulatory component or even like the political, like, is anyone sniffing around on you guys? Like this is not, uh, disrupting, ruffling anyone's feathers from the state perspective. At no, this point? The, no, the only people sniffing around have been, um, shit coiners coming around to kind of sell their wares. Um, but like cockroaches are everywhere. Oh my goodness. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, had some early experiences that, you know, you, you, you just, you know, you learn the lessons, but anyway, um, the, um, Guatemala politics is, um, Corruption in Guatemala is embedded within the government system. And a part of this goes back to the, the, the civil war. And um, so basically between corruption and large businesses, oligarchies, they basically control Guatemala. And if it's good for business, it's good for Guatemala. And Bitcoin is not a threat to business. And so uh, the government's not going to go sniffing down um, Bitcoin adoption because it's not affecting business. If it started affecting people's, you know, the big corporations, then th that might be a different story. And um, also, fortunately, um, this next year is a, an election year. So this past year, you know, politicians have probably been jockeying for who's going to be the next, you know, president and all the way down to the to the local um uh, election, um, you know, mayors and stuff like that. So no, no one's really been sniffing around, but we've, we've gotten plenty, plenty of Guatemalan press, um, good friends of ours who we've associated with 
were teaching a course on economics after they learned about our project and I did some education with them. Um, they started a Bitcoin uh, economics radio program on FM 100. So it's not a podcast. This is going out to the, the general population in, in Guatemala. Um, wow. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's going to be key. I think our, the way I think about Bitcoin adoption uh, or Guatemalan adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender, I think is going to take a, a much different path than, than um, El Salvador, you know, with, with all the hard work that Mike and the team did at Bitcoin beach, they, you know, I mean, someone came along and, and kind of hit the home run and said, I'm going to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. There, there, there are no Bukele's in Guatemala. The, um, so I think that Guatemala truly is going to have to grow from a grassroots perspective um, in Guatemala. And that, I think that's going to be the best way for uh, adoption to occur in Guatemala. So you don't think politicians there are looking at El Salvador and be like, wow, this is really working out. We should try something similar. You think they're too ingrained in the current way of operating and the corruption and all that? I don't think that if um, there's a way for them to make money, um, they're probably not going to try to pursue it. Right. It, it. It all goes back down to corruption. So as yeah. long as we keep it at the local level, peer to peer, I don't think there's going to be a lot of visibility, but you know, we will get to a tipping point. I think it's, it's, you know, it may follow the path of what Bitcoin um, has done itself. You know, you when it, at the very beginning, it was probably easy to uh, control and to co-opt, but you're going to, we're going to get to a point where even if a politician wanted to control it, they're not going to be able to. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, are you familiar with the Mi Primera Bitcoin um, curriculum that they've been running in, in El Salvador? Yes. So when we started uh, teaching Bitcoin, we did, we started in January of this year. Uh, Mi Primera started in, I think they published or started their work in April so I, we didn't have the benefit of the, uh, uh, my first diploma. I created our own Bitcoin at, um, uh, curriculum for the school, but we have since adopted their curriculum for this next school year. We're going to be using the Mi Meta because it's, you know, it's structured and to be able to hand someone a diploma that says they've graduated is, is a really cool thing. And I think also once we do that, um, I was just really impressed this last, in the fall here when all these Bitcoiners from around the world came down to El Salvador to quiz everybody, I think. And, you know, I want to do the same thing. I was just going to bring that up. I, I unfortunately couldn't be there, but I saw, you know, videos and photos. And I was like, man, how cool is that? You know, you've got the curriculum, the, the, the diploma, and then as the final exam, you know, a bunch of Bitcoiners come down as, you know, being the... Uh, you know, the testers or whatever. It's just like, it's such a great initiative and, and the, the curriculum looks cool and people seem to like it. And hopefully it, you know, once you create that resource, as you know, you just explained, you can then take it and try to integrate it into what you're doing. And I presume they make it available to other people as and when they, 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 they want it or need it. And, you know, starts as a, a trickle and then it's a flood, you know, it's, yeah. it's such a cool thing. Are, yeah. are the people in your area or even elsewhere in Guatemala, like, are they even aware of what's ha happening in El Salvador regarding Bitcoin or is it just so far off the radar that, you know, it's, it's it doesn't really get there? Well, like I said, at the beginning, I, that uh, I think allowed us to have some initial success because they were, 
marginally aware of what was going on, um, but they don't know the details. I mean, they, they've, they've heard it, but they don't know the details. Yeah. Right. Do you, do you expect or even hope for the kind of, you know, you can never replicate the first, I think, and it's probably not um, wise to want to because every yeah. place is different and every circumstance is different, but do you think it will pan out in a similar way in which, you know, a high profile Bitcoin company kind of comes down and, amplifies what's the, the the groundwork that's been laid already and brings not only perhaps technical um impact or contribution but also you know spotlight and stuff like that do you think that's gonna do you want that to happen in at the lake yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for all those listening um no it's it's the yes because number one, as I said at the beginning, this has been a self-funded effort. It's it's all on donations. So, mm. you know, having to run around and chase donations um, and Bitcoin Beach has been just so helpful. But, you know, that that's hard work, you know. Um, and I think number two, when you have a, a, a large donor or a company that wants to be associated with what you're doing, it, it adds uh, bona fides and gives you more credibility as adoption starts growing. You know, people, people have a hard time, would have a hard, you know, you know, let's say Visa wants to be involved with what we're doing or something like that. It, it'd be kind of hard to laugh or dismiss a work that Visa is doing in Guatemala. Uh, I'm, and there's nothing like that going on, but I just use that as an example. When you've got legitimate stakeholders involved, um, it's kind of hard to dismiss the activity. Right. And I'm not sure what you mean. So Visa, they're not offering you anything, but you're saying that they, they're doing a lot in Guatemala besides? No, no, no. What I, I use Visa as an example a big of, a, brand. of a big brand that, and, and that's a big global brand. It's, it's, uh, I, we don't need a big global brand to come in. We, we need a big Bitcoin brand to come in. Or right. I, I, I'm saying that incorrectly. We don't need a big Bitcoin brand to come in. It would be nice to have a Bitcoin brand come in and, and kind of walk alongside what we're doing and, and use this as kind of their community outlet uh, for the work that they're doing. Yeah. Aside from just um, contributing funds, right? Donations, let's say, what would be the ideal scenario whereby, you know, so again, use the analogy of Bitcoin beach, uh, the cash app people are down there. Jack is down there. That creates a bunch of hype and also familiarizes people with their services. And, you know, that was a big kind of gasoline on the fire moment, at least it seemed from my vantage point, what would, what would be the ideal uh, contribution or involvement at, you know, aside from direct financial contribution in your opinion? Well, because, because our, the thing that distinguishes our project from every other project is the mining. I think to have a mining outfit and certainly a, biogas mining outfit or even an energy um you know energy broker um that wants to exploit the energy that we're that we're finding to have them come down there and kind of take notice of what we're doing and kind of help us build out what is you know it's a big project i mean building out uh, waste to energy bitcoin mining facility is a big project so to have someone come down there and help us with that that would be huge um 
I think short of that, the what I always like to say is, you know, the help that we need is for Bitcoiners to come to Guatemala, come to Panachel. It's a beautiful area and spend your Bitcoin. Put come put Bitcoin into the economy. And the I think the other thing that that we really relish is having Bitcoiners come and stay. So we as I mentioned, we had one Bitcoiner and his girlfriend um, from Switzerland via Columbia come and stayed with us for three months. And because he was committed and liked what he saw, this is early on. I mean, this is in March or April of this year, but he liked what he saw and they decided to stay and live on Bitcoin. I don't think at the time, I don't think they were able to live on it 100 percent, but they liked what they saw. And um, because of his involvement, he got involved in teaching the kids at the school. He did the, the POS system for us. He helped with the, the, um, the oil project with the, uh, with the mining operation. Um, you know, time is valuable. Time is money, as we know. So mm-hmm. for Bitcoiners to come down and find a problem they want to fix and solve with their own expertise, then that's huge. I mean, I'm not a technical person. I'm a surgeon by training. So if, if, if there are technical people that know something about lightning and want to implement it, um, come, come to Panachel and help us out. Yeah. How big is the, you meant you referenced the mining potential, the project again, how big of a either investment or energy use or how are you guys look, is there resources in the area that you have planned to do more mining stuff with, or are we, we still just talking about the waste management approach? and the seed oil approach no we're talking about taking landfill waste and converting it into energy and what is the potential there i mean it's it's unlimited um based on the size you know i i forget the numbers but um based on the size of the landfill in in panachel i mean we can create a very profitable mining operation but if you think about guatemala as a whole uh the the landfill in Guatemala City is one of the largest landfills in, in um, Central and South America. So if if our concept proves out, which it, it's time-tested um, technology, there's no reason it's not going to work. But um, the if you could convert all of that trash or most of that trash into energy and then Bitcoin, I mean, that's, that's unlimited. And mm-hmm. if we think about the current energy crisis in uh, Europe right now, if we can decrease the cost of energy for countries like um, uh, in the global South by converting their, their trash into, into energy and then Bitcoin. That's, that's huge. Yeah. And so does that mean that these landfills that you're referring to in Guatemala already do methane capture or you would have to implement that? No, they, they don't No, They, they, <laughs> they seep methane into the environment. They right. don't capture anything. Um, no, so the so they'd have to be converted those landfills into ones that capture methane. No, no, because the the technology that we're talking about, uh, recall, is you literally take trash, unsorted trash, organics, 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 non-organics, right. unsorted trash. You dump it into our process or the process. Not it's not ours, but the company that we're working with. You mm. dump it into their process, and um, you don't have to capture methane because methane is the result of decomposition and we're, mm. we're, we're getting this way before it gets a chance to, I mean, we're getting it right off the truck, so to speak. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's different than 
and even before this became started to become popular bitcoin mining a lot of landfills already right. siphon away that methane and usually contribute it back to the grid or do something else with it this is a, a totally different tech, technological right. approach basically that's right that's right a, and, and how do you guys sorry go ahead well no there's a company out of california vespine energy um they are um, addressing the methane issue at landfills and they're mining Bitcoin. They just raised some money uh, several months ago. But so our technology, I like to call our technology before the flame technology. They've got flame technology, so to speak. We were before the flame. And is this one more economical in your, to your knowledge? Our technology? Yeah, I guess it depends on the deal you get with the landfill perhaps or all, you know, there's other details, but. Yeah, but we're we're able to um, we're getting energy at uh, two cents per kilo. We've we've costed out two cents per kilowatt hour for us. Oh, that's pretty much as good as it gets. Yeah. Yep. And how do you look at when you're setting up these ventures and stuff? You know, one of the, I mean, it's natural and it's pretty much unavoidable. But once economic opportunity starts happening and investments start happening, well, then you know, sometimes these projects can go from, well, everyone's just giving freely of their time because there's not, there's no real pie to split up and everyone's, you know, it's a very generous sort of vibe, but once, you know, real money, real opportunity, real investment gets involved, real risk gets involved, then the, the who owns what sort of considerations start entering the equation. How do you plan on, you know, managing that in regards to the, the, the project, like the well, Bitcoin Lake, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, so the way we're handling that is we've, we've started a, a company in Guatemala uh, called Bioenergy Technology Company, BTC. So um, <laughs> that is completely separate from Lago Bitcoin, Bitcoin Lake. Uh, we will remain, uh, you know, a nonprofit community organization while BTC will be the, the power broker uh, figuratively and literally, and they'll manage all those relationships. But, you know, uh, in our discussions right now with the group out of the UK, yeah, no one's, uh, when companies start getting involved, no one does anything until the money's there and everybody's role is understood and, you know, uh, who gets what and all that. So this is, that's going to follow the normal capitalist, you know, business cycle. But we were the ones that um, envisioned the idea, brought the parties together, but we did not want to be mixed in. We wanted to have really clear channels between what we're doing at the lake and um, this business opportunity. Yeah. And is it too early to suggest a timeline for when this actually might be, you know, producing Bitcoin from waste? Well, we, we were looking for initial seed investment to come in um, in the early summer and we've, we've not obtained that. But once the initial seed investment comes, um, it will be just over a year. We, normally the process would be eight, uh, 12 to 18 months, but, um, because of the connections that we have, um, through Mario and Cessad in particular, um, the, um, it would be a little over a year. Yeah. And do you mind if, I mean, you don't have to share if you don't want to, but how much are you looking to raise in, in seed money? Yeah. Uh, 1.5 million. Um, what's, I mean, you talk about kind of attracting Bitcoiners, uh, to come and spend and visit, and that would be, you know, in the ideal case, that's something that you would desire. Um, a lot of Bitcoiners, especially over the last two years are, 
poking around for alternative places to live, you know, especially if they can uh, work online and stuff. What is quality of life like um, in the areas that you're familiar with cost, you know, housing, apartments, restaurants, food, all that kind of stuff? Um, I would say if you compared it to El Zante before the, the Bitcoin buzz, um, Panachel would be, you know, orders of magnitude, a much nicer place to be, um, to live. You could raise a family there. It's a beautiful area. You know, it's, it's relatively clean. I mean, you've got trash in the street and stuff like that in, in any developing country. Um, but no, I mean, there, there are plenty, there are a lot of expats actually that have come and, and live there. So it's, it's a really nice place. Unfortunately, the, the internet is, um, you do have internet, but it can be kind of spotty every now and then. But um, Fabu, who came down, the, the couple from Switzerland, um, he is a uh, software developer and works for his fiat job. Fiat mining job is uh, banking, work, working with banks, and he needed access to an internet. Um, I don't recall him complaining about the internet access, but you just have to be aware that the internet's not, you know, it's not broadband. Yeah. Right. And so what are we talking for either a nice apartment or a nice home to live in per month? Oh, uh, probably four, 600 bucks a house. For, and there, there are nice accommodations in the area, I'm assuming? Yeah, yes. Um, Sorry, I'm completely in, ignorant to all this, you know, as you No, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> the... It, it just depends on what everybody's uh, definition of nice is, you know, um, that you, you can get very nice accommodations for four to $600 a month, uh, typical Guatemalan accommodations, uh, something that, you know, the last time I was down there, I stayed at an Airbnb and it was, it was fine. That's great. You know, I think a lot of people would be happy to, to hear that they could have a nice quality of life for, you know, 500 bucks, 600 bucks a month, because as we know, it's a, it's a lot more than that in most developed areas. Yeah. Yeah. And John, I'll tell you that the, the is one of 17 communities around the lake. If you, if you can't find what you want in Ponachel, uh, there are plenty of other, every community has its own, um, personality. And there are some communities that are more, uh, geared towards the younger crowd. Um, there's, there's one that's, that's very geared towards being, you know, more the hippie lifestyle, more laid back and, you know, has that kind of vibe. There, there are plenty of places around the lake that people can find. Um, it's not a problem. Yeah. What's the general vibe in the country, you know, and, and I, I hate to characterize this whole conversation in relation to El Salvador and Bitcoin beach, but, you know, neighbors and similar things going on, like there's a very uh, seems to me hopeful, energetic, kind of ambitious attitude that prevails in El Salvador right now for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what's the kind of vibe in, in Guatemala amongst the, the people? Just, you know, just trying to work to get, get through the day, you know, provide a better future. So there's definitely not that sort of vibe in, in uh, Guatemala. I've never, I've never felt that. I know what you're describing, um, but no, I don't, that's not in Guatemala. Because they they've not they've not seen that hope yet they've not been able to see that possibility of a change in the future for what from what they already know yet right um and again this might be too personal but how often how much time do you spend down there 
Well, my original goal was to be down there um, about every two months and be down there for a couple of weeks at a time. Um, over the middle part of the year, I had some, I've been having some serious uh, family issues I've had to deal with, but that was the original goal was to be down there um, every couple of months. The but it's it's a testament to the group that we have that despite the leader not being down there, uh, we've just had incredible people that have come, owned the vision, and just done stuff on their own. And Eliazar, our, he's he's like our Chimbera um, there in Panachel. I mean, I could not have asked for a better person to have as our employee, and that was complete happenstance. I met him at one of the restaurants, and he saw me talking about or heard me talking about Bitcoin and wanted to know about it. And next thing I know, he's at one of the educational things and he becomes our first employee and in and, and short order became basically the Bitcoin expert, uh, definitely in the Lake region. And um, he's not the Bitcoin expert in Guatemala, but he ranks up there now because he's he's learned so much in a short amount of time. That's so cool. I love yeah. hearing stories like that, you know, yeah. and they're so common it that yeah. this this thing that it is in that is constituted by such good principles attracts good people right and they want to they want to do things with it and they want to amplify the good in you know in their surroundings and in their own life and in lives of others it's it's awesome what um, what i say what i say john is that um if you come to guatemala panachel bitcoiners um, I guarantee you that you will like what you see. You will already plan to want to come back. And if you don't do that, you're going to dream of the day that you can come back. I mean, it's, it's that sort of place. And with the Bitcoin aspect to it, it just, it just, it's the cherry on the top. Wow. Big words. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to come check it out at some point in, in the not too distant future. What, what's on the you know, on the horizon for the nonprofit, you know, in terms of plans, uh, what do you guys are kind of the bigger initiatives that you're hoping to execute on in the next year or two, let's say? I, I think that um, until I fully see the distrib uh, distributed basic income back into the community, that's going to be kind of our main driver. I really want to see the vision of waste being turned back into profit back into the community. So, that's kind of a prime driver for what we're trying to do right now. You know, the, the orange pilling will continue. The education in, in the schools will continue. I'd like to see there's a, a school up the, up the hill a little bit that they've got a biodigester capability and it's a whole nother story, but I'd like to potentially this next school year include another school in the teaching about Bitcoin. So that's kind of that's kind of what we're focused on right now, and um, just trying to see this vision of this waste energy um, get up and going is is a big deal as well. Yeah, for and sure. That and that education is always rolling, like it's always yes. a part of the curriculum in the school, and maybe some community outreach efforts as well. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And we also had an opportunity to speak with the minister of education, but um, through a contact. But because of the election year, she was in the process of you know, resigning. Um, but we may still have a, a contact at the Ministry of Education. So I would love to be able to actually see Bitcoin taught in the public school because the the one contact who works at the ministry is is a Bitcoiner. Um, so as long as we've got his advocacy, 
you know, we have access to the, to the future minister of education. I'm, I'm excited about that. Man, powerful, uh, Bitcoin sleeper cells everywhere. Pushing, <laughs> pushing things. <laughs> That's forward. right. That's right. Um, okay. Out of full disclosure or in, in the interest of full disclosure, rather what's, you know, what are the drawbacks of both, you know, your efforts in at the lake, but, you know, you just painted a glowing picture of, of why people should come visit Guatemala. Like what are, what are the, some things to look out for? Let's say. Uh, you can't drink the water. You got to drink bottled water. Um, the, you know, it's just the basic infrastructure of, of living in a developing country. So the electricity sometimes goes off and, you know, like I mentioned, the internet, things don't move on your schedule. They move on the Guatemalan schedule. You can't, you can't force things. Um, if you don't know the language, that can be very frustrating, but enough people in, in Panachel understand um, English or you can get by. If you get outside of the major tourist areas or outside of Guatemala City, that's a different story. But, um, you know, uh, I'm not trying to paint a glowing picture because I'm not trying to sell people on Guatemala. I'm trying to sell people on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't have gone back to Guatemala that many times and Panachel in particular if um, I didn't see something special in the place. Um, it, it's hard to describe, John, but I've had countless people tell me that when they've gone to Panachel and seen the lake, that they they have a spiritual experience. I mean, it's it's truly, truly a remarkable place. There's I when I leave, I can't wait to go back. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What are your friends and colleagues in the US feel about, you know, not only your your interest in Bitcoin, which can be uh, reason enough for some raised eyebrow raised eyebrows from time to time, but for your kind of build, you know, attempting to build a community around it, or at least bring it to a community? Um, I think it's probably, you know, what you mentioned. I mean, I think probably some people think that, you know, I'm wearing a tin hat, but, um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, it's, it's something that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about Bitcoin. I'm passionate about my faith and I'm passionate about, um, bringing, um, this and improving people's lives. I mean, as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a surgeon by training. And I love to help people. So to be able to do something like this without a profit motive, and that's important because I'm an honest broker, right? I have, I have nothing to gain to go and do this other than um, what I know it can do for the people that I'm bringing it uh, to. And, you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, what separates our work from other work around the world, there are other efforts that are commercially motivated, you know, where a bunch of businesses are being orange pilled for the benefit of the wallet they're, they're creating or whatever. So I can be an honest broker about the benefit of Bitcoin, knowing what it can do. And to just, I mean, I guess part of it's envy, you know, as well for me, it's like thinking that Mike Peterson and those guys will literally go down in the history books for what they've done. I mean, it's, and to be able to, to be involved in something that, that may have as much significance for a country. I mean, that's, you know, when people think about a project that they want to be involved in or what, what my life work is all about, that's, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big deal. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Has, it's a topic I, I think and discuss a lot, but has understanding Bitcoin, I mean, surely, you know, this project, I know you guys, you and your family were 
involved in projects pre-Bitcoin, but I think it, it, it's uh, safe to say that this has scaled up the involvement dramatically. Um, so since learning about getting involved, owning, using, promoting Bitcoin, have you felt, you know, that your perspective or your life or, you know, anything that's included in that has changed noticeably? 100%. I think that, you know, as I was mentioning the, the addendum to the, the bubble white paper that I'm working on, I was just commenting that, you know, prior to Bitcoin, you know, my faith is my anchor. So on the spiritual realm, I was pretty, pretty certain there, but, but uh, not pretty certain, certain there. Um, but in the metaphysical realm, Bitcoin has become this anchor that has made, allowed me to make sense of so much freaking stuff that's wrong in the world. So um, yeah, it's changed my perspective on a lot of things. And um, it gives me the ability to know that there's a way to fix that, whatever that is, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah totally agree. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you way back at the beginning, um, and I forgot to, was you said you'd written two books or and or started a podcast or two around Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Tell, I mean, tell, tell me, tell me more. Well, um, actually the second book is, is in response to one of your, your blog posts about the, you, you used Jordan Peterson as a launch pad for a blog post and you were money Messiah money Messiah. So uh, my second book is called um, the philosophy of Bitcoin and religion and you're heavily quoted in it. Um, the first book is called the, um, the Christian Case for Bitcoin. And so basically the Christian Case for Bitcoin is the, my, my laying out the case for those with the Christian worldview as to why they should be adopting Bitcoin. It is, you know, I know um, uh, Jordan Bush and Jimmy Song and I've read, you know, um, Thank God for Bitcoin. That's a great primer to kind of understand biblical aspects to um, sound money and Bitcoin's a fulfillment of that. But I kind of take it at a much deeper level. I look at um, the collapse of, of um, modern society going all the way back to the Renaissance, um, leaning heavily on uh, Francis Schaeffer's work um, as a, who greatly influenced my thinking as a young man. So I use um, his work and some other works to kind of build a framework around the Christian worldview and Bitcoin. And um, yeah, it's uh, the Christian case for Bitcoin. It's, it's a, I think it's a great book. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> if I do say so myself. No, you know, um, it's, it's it, you know, it's, it, uh, there, I, you know, even now, I don't know if there are any Christian worldview uh, Bitcoin books out there. Uh, thank God for Bitcoin is, is not really a Christian worldview um, book. It's it's kind of a, it's like thank thank God for Friday. It's it's thank God for Bitcoin. It's that sort of thing. My, mine's a much more deeper look at what that really means and how um, the humanism really um, and later on fiat uh, has corrupted our society. Um, yeah, is that are they both out or was that? Yeah, they're on still... Amazon. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. I, I very much look forward to reading them. I'll, I'll, I'll get them as soon as we get off. Um, and what about the podcast? Yeah. So the podcast was a way for me to um, start exploring my Christian faith in Bitcoin. And at the time, as I was learning about Bitcoin and got onto Bitcoin Twitter, 
I was a little afraid to kind of interact um, in those circles with uh, my Christian faith. So uh, the podcast kind of became a way for me to explore Bitcoin and my Christian faith um, and also allowed me to vet out this idea of what I wanted to do in Guatemala. So a lot of the podcasts are kind of focused on uh, and I asked you know, questions about, Hey, what if I did this? What would you think about that? Um, once the, I, I only can do so much. So, um, I think my last podcast was probably in November or December of last year, or maybe earlier this year. I think I posted one or two earlier this year, but it's just become, I, I just can't do it all. Yeah. Uh, what was it called? Mission Bitcoin. And it's still, published and available for listening Should and stuff? Be. yeah yeah my first awesome. interview is actually with uh tomer strolight yeah sweet sweet yeah. well i got a lot a lot of stuff to a lot of content of yours to catch up on after you know after today um patrick is there anything that you wanted to touch on or discuss that we didn't that i didn't bring up yet or anything about the project you wanted to to promote or highlight yeah john i mean first of all i want to thank you and your listeners for taking the time to listen to this um no, I mean, I think I've, I've pretty much covered it. I would just encourage anybody um, that wants to find out more, please, you know, you can uh, DM me on Twitter um, at Lake Bitcoin on Twitter. Um, you know, we've got a group of about 30 people coming after adopting Bitcoin in November in a couple of weeks. So I encourage those that had already been to uh, Bitcoin Beach and done the pilgrimage to come down to Bitcoin Lake and see what we're doing down there. So we've We've chartered, we're chartering a bus and bringing about 30 people. If you're going to adopting Bitcoin and you want to come down and see what we're doing, please reach out and let us know. Um, but we'd love to have you. And we've got some stuff. We've got a German film crew coming to do a documentary and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, and kind of germane to kind of the focus of what we're working on. If, if anybody out there has a expertise in biomining or mining and and is maybe interested in helping with what we're doing um that you you would be warmly welcomed um yeah cool how long is the bus ride from six uh, hours san salvador oh that's it oh yeah it's pretty close yeah sweet yeah well patrick thank you once again for you know coming on and having a chat with me and and for doing all the the work that you're doing in, in guatemala I, I very much look forward to learning more about it and, you know, keeping up the pace on all the developments. And uh, we'll have to do another one of these in, in six to 12 months and get an update. Great. Thanks, John. Sorry about the technical difficulties at the beginning. No problem at all. Take care, brother. Good man. Thanks. Bye. Yeah.